Just One More with Joanna and Daphne, a fitness and nutrition podcast for normal people who want to be more awesome. If you have trouble deciding between Just One More Cupcake and Just One More Kettlebell Swing, this is the podcast for you. I'm Joanna Shaw-Flamm. I'm an actor, a comedian, and a normal person. And Daphne is not here today because I'm speaking with a special guest who I will introduce in just a second. Uh, Before we begin, remember to talk to your doctor or medical practitioner before starting any workout or nutrition plan. So I mentioned we have a special guest today. I will introduce her now, uh, Chelsea Burrell of Leah B. Wellness. Hi, Chelsea. Hi, how are you, Joanna? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for being on the show. Um, So just to start out, uh, I will ask my impertinent question that I ask all of our guests. Who are you and what do you do? Who am I? So I'm a mother. I am a communications and marketing expert, and I am a weight loss advocate. I've lost 100 pounds. Um, I am a personal trainer and a nutrition coach, and soon to be a um, proprietor and founder of a studio. Awesome. That's very exciting. Um, Yes. I met you at a networking event that Daphne holds called Power Hour, Uh, and uh, you are on the show because you totally captured my attention with your like 60 second introduction of who you were. And we're going to get to why in a second, but I want to fill in a little bit of how you got to be doing what you are doing first. So, uh, can you give us a little like autobiography of how you, how you came to be where you are now and doing what you're doing? Most definitely. So about seven, eight years ago, Um, I was doing plus size modeling, among other things, but I was a financial advisor in Denver, Colorado and doing plus size modeling. I had been on a TV show uh, and really was loving it, you know, doing different ads and started going to all these casting calls. And it was like, oh, you're great, but can you gain 20 pounds? Oh, you're perfect, but can you lose eight? And so I just went on this journey where it was like, yeah, I can gain 20 pounds. Let's eat cupcakes. And just it was random and it was hard. But I looked at myself one day and I didn't recognize myself. And I was like, oh, who is this person? She is so big. And growing up, I played sports all my life, ate fast food, but played sports. And so they kind of offset each other. Also, my metabolism was like, yeah. Um, so I got to this place and I was just like, I, I need to make some changes in who I am. Because this plus size modeling life and this gaining 20, losing eight, gaining 12 just wasn't for me. Um, And obviously I knew sooner or later it was probably going to catch up to me. So while I was still in Denver, I attended a place called the Clinical Nutrition Center, and they taught me how to eat again pretty much. Weekly, I met with a doctor, I met with a nutritionist, and I met with a therapist. And it was the most wholesome experience that I have kind of, I mean, it was so eye-opening. In that experience, I was only there for about two months on these weekly check-ins. One, because it was crazy expensive. And two, (laughs) I mean, like crazy expensive, like fifteen hundred dollars a month Um, but but it was worth it to me you know and at the Mm -hmm. time I was so able to do it and I had the time Um, after two months of taking in all of their insight being able to talk about my feelings charting all of my food reducing my carbohydrate content to about 50 grams a day I had lost like 50 pounds in two months so I figured I've learned all that I need to hear let me step away and do this on my own so I lost the remainder 50 on my own just doing the same thing keeping my carbohydrates low focusing on my emotions. And then after I got down to 100 pounds, I was like, okay, this is great. I've gotten to a place, but I think I need to do more. So I went back to school and I got an associate's in exercise science and became an NSCA certified personal trainer. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to take the big jump. I'm going to move to New York and I'm going to be a trainer. And, <laughs> and I did it. It's like two and a half months later, I stacked some money, 
I was working with a jazz musician and traveling with her and, you know, it was great. Um, was able to come to New York with some great cash and was like, let's start a new life. Let's do this. And the entire time I always thought about wanting to help a certain demographic that was like myself. You know, I grew up, I'm multicultural, but I grew up with eating habits that were really centered around any type of emotion. When someone dies, we're eating. When someone gets a job, we're eating. When someone has a baby, we're eating. It was very steeped in that kind of tradition. And so I wanted to help women that were like me. Also women that weren't a size two. So I came to New York and I was a trainer for a short while at Equinox. Um, <clears throat> that was a great experience. <laughs> if you're familiar with Equinox, then you might know they have a certain type of demographic. And if you see any of their marketing now, it's very targeted. And I just realized this wasn't for me, but a great experience, you know, to come to New York and be able to become a trainer at Equinox. It's like the pinnacle of training. It's the top tier gym probably across the country. And so then I stepped away from that and then worked at some other gyms, worked at Gold's Gym, worked at Crunch, worked at 24 Hour Fitness. You know, again, good experiences. Realized, though, that training wasn't really not only my strong suit, but where I was going to have the largest impact. Because you can train all day, every day, but if you're eating like crap, it means nothing. So then I decided to get my um, nutrition certification and I looked at IIN, which is the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, which is great, but it's also very costly and takes a, about a year to acquire. And by then I had spent four years working on nutrition. I figured I don't really need a year of you to tell me that plant-based living or individualized eating is the way to go. So I went with um, Carrie Glassman's Nutritious Life Certification Big up to Carrie. Um, she's a sweetheart, and her program was great. It was six weeks. I finished it in, like, maybe two and a half because a lot of it I knew. Um, finished that and then decided to start working with clients and kind of putting myself out there. Meanwhile, I'm still working full-time in marketing and communications. Went from a, a Viacom cable network and then into a, an NGO. And so all of this time I'm working full-time, but in the evenings I'm working with my friends, my family, mostly my friends and my family. Then I started to get a few referrals. Um, <clears throat> and then as of last August, I decided to step away because I became a mother. Um, and it was the most life-defining experience. Um, because I, I mean, any woman, if she's into it, I would recommend become a mom. It's You come away feeling so powerful. And so I stepped away and have been doing um, wellness coaching, I would consider it, um, because I do some personal training, I build programs, but I also do a lot of nutrition coaching. And honestly, I really just talk, do a lot of talking about our feelings and how they're connected to the way we eat and why the, we eat the way we eat. Totally. I always say that uh, Daphne is my friend. She's my collaborator, but she's also essentially my therapist, even though what we call what I do with her nutrition counseling. But like, <laughs> there are times when we don't talk about food the entire hour. So it's all, it's very connected. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. When, when clients are coming to you and you're working with clients, what kinds of issues are they typically facing? Most of it is emotional eating. Um, there's a lot of, I mean, most of it is that. And there's also some body image issues because I deal with a group of women and men, some men, um, that they may not, like when you look at them, they have amazing bodies. They're like, seem really confident, but there was a lot of them. There's this defining moment, most of the time in their childhood, sometimes in adulthood, sometimes it's a traumatic experience, but something that defines 
how they view themselves. And then they're in turn how they view themselves in connection with food. Um, so those are most of the issues. Like I said, nutri- um, emotional eating is, is a huge one. Mm-hmm. And do you, do you have sort of what you think of as like your ultimate goal for like anyone who comes to work with you? Like, what are you, what are you hoping for, for them through the work that you do together? You know, really, I, my goal is for them to really love themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's about self-love. It's, it's not about an ultimate weight goal. It's not even eating, becoming vegan or anything like that. It's about a person getting to a place in their life where they really feel comfortable in their own skin, no matter what scenario they're in, whether it's a work scenario, a personal situation, just they wake up in the morning, they're like, I am me and I am fierce. And that's my goal for my clients. And I kind of explained that to them from the beginning, because it's been part of my journey is going from a place where I was faking it like for real. And then I got to a place where I made it and, and I wake up now and up through all of the ups and downs of my life. I feel like I I really love who I am. What a great, what a great place to be. And I want to help others get to that place. Totally. Well, so when I first met you at power hour, um, the way that Daphne runs those events, everyone like takes 60 seconds to sort of introduce themselves and say why they're there and what they're like, what they're looking for at the networking event. She's very good at this, but, uh, (laughs) but Chelsea stood up in this room full of women who I have to say like 50% of them had said basically like I work in finance, but my passion is fitness, which is awesome. Uh, but Chelsea stood up and was like, look, this is what I do. Um, and one of the reasons that I do it is so that people who feel like they don't fit in, in this room can have access to this space. And I was like, you, I want to talk (laughs) to you about this. So can you tell me a little bit more about like what that means to you and being specific, like when you're talking about like the demographic that you saw at Equinox and stuff, I think we can probably be pretty frank and say, it's probably like mostly white women, mostly, uh, pretty wealthy and mostly mm-hmm. already thin. Yep. Yep. And it's so funny because when I, you know, I, I, I've been doing this for a while now, so I have a pretty decent elevator pitch, but I got to that event and one, so it's wonderful. I love, I love Daphne's platform and the way she presents it. Cause it's kind of like a psych whammy. Cause you don't really know. And then she, you get there and she's like, Oh yep. And you need 30 seconds. Tell me who you are. And I was like, Oh, and something came over me because I'm sitting in a room of like, a, I don't know, maybe 50 women. And of the 50 women, there were maybe two or three that looked like me or even resembled me. And I'm not like a unicorn at all. I'm multicultural. I have big natural hair and I'm curvy and I probably always will be curvy. And I love that about me. And so I got up and I was just like, this is something I need to talk about. And, you know, in a, in a, in a, and it's, it's not even New York. It's pretty much the wellness scene. It's like you said, <clears throat> this younger demographic, this 25 to 30, probably somewhere upwardly mobile and lean and white. And, you know, I have gone to so many classes that I'm just like the only one there. I'm not a size two. You know, I've got a little chub here. You know, I've got a little cellulite. I'm, my hair is not straight. I don't have a little high bun. And, you know, it's like I said, only through lots and lots of these type of experiences that I get to a place partially also because I've done a lot of the faking it till you make it that I can step in and, okay, we're going to do this bar class that's $36. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenging experience because the people that need to be in these classes the most 
are the ones that are most of the time excluded, whether it be through the marketing. A lot of times it's the marketing. And because I'm a marketing professional, I understand the power of visuals. And you look at any of these brands, and I'm going to call them out because Pure Bar, uh, Feast, what is it, Physique 57, uh, any of these major brands, even Equinox, you look at the marketing and everyone is thin and everyone is white. They might throw in a black man, but he's cut up too. And I'm like, really? Everybody doesn't look like that. And those aren't the people that you want to come. You want the people like me that I'm going to invest the money and I have the money. And there are lots of people that do have it that look like me. Totally. I think that's so important is that these, I mean, part of it is just like sizeism and marketing, right? Like we see thin people in advertisements. So we're going to see thin people in advertisements for wellness stuff too. But I think also there is an assumption about who wants and can afford wellness products. And it is incorrect. I mean, it is. <laughs> you know, there, it is a much wider group of people who, if they felt welcome, could, you know, pay for the class or pay exactly. for the gym membership or pay for the food. And, you know, mm-hmm. not to even mention that people who can't afford that also deserve wellness. <laughs> exactly. Like it, then it's, that's one of the big kind of key points. And I think that um, mainstream fashion is starting to really take note of this. If you think about J crew and Madewell, I don't know if you know, but mm-hmm. they recently have opened up their pant sizing. And I am one of the biggest, like not victims, but one of those type of people where I loved J crew, but I could only wear their dresses and I could only wear their blouses for a really long time. And, but then what I did is I was having to spend more than a hundred dollars for jeans that I really, really liked. So by them opening that up, they're stepping into a demographic of people that are more than willing to spend the money on some good quality stuff and to feel an inclusive vibe. You're like, thank you, J. Crew. Yes, I will get these size 31 jeans and feel great. And I'll rock them and I'll talk about your brand in social media. So I feel that fashion fitness needs to kind of jump on that same train. And I hope to be one of those kind of. I don't know, trailblazer, shall we say, in that because, you know, I want to continue to push that in any of the marketing that I do. It's either myself or I use my girlfriends or friends that that aren't like, you know, that are like me, that are, you know, curvy and do need a real supportive bra. You know, like I love Lulu, but some of those bras, I'm like, who are you fooling? Nobody's working out on this. That is a bra that you wear to bed that, or you can lounge in that on a Saturday. I'm not doing any high impact cardio in that. So, um. Yeah, so just being able to open things up to a, a, a group of people that, like I said, in the marketing and any their communication, te- they seem to exclude, which is unfortunate. And I think, you know, to anyone who's listening who maybe falls into the sort of normalized group, it's like, this is not about dissing you. You're great. No, you know? no not at all. But, I mean, you inspire me all the time. <laughs> but, they're, you know, the world is wide and diverse and... Um, anything, if you're talking about wellness, which is about like how you are in the world every day to say that that only looks one way or only, um, includes one set of people, uh, is bad. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so it's not that you don't get to come to the party. It's just that like the party needs a lot more invitations. Exactly. That, I mean, that's exactly how I feel. So last 
last week I hosted an event at in my hometown um, at a Legree studio called Fierce 45. And I love this brand. It's super sexy. It kind of feels like, if you're a New Yorker, um, Y7 a little bit. It's got that very black and white marketing. They use a lot of hip-hop. Um, a lot of hip-hop references in their social media. I'm pretty sure all of the people that work there love hip-hop. But at this opening party, and it was, this was a grand opening party for their fourth studio, myself and the master trainer, who is also multicultural, were the only people of color at this event. Now, granted, we're in Colorado, so there's 3% or 4%. It's a super low number anyway. But... You know, it, and it, it, it feels a little daunting to come into these events and talk to women, one that might not understand my journey or a journey that can be a little more, I don't know, mainstream, because not everybody's blessed with certain genes where they're a size two. And for those women that are, I, I praise you because I, I sometimes wish that I had that where my journey wasn't this of emotional eating and being a size 10 and being like, I made it, you know. So, but, you know, just opening it up a little bit to people that don't look like that, I feel like could really change and revolutionize fitness and wellness as we know it. Um, because now it's a little, it's a little closed and, you know, it, it's also about the, the invitation and the welcomingness, you know, of an, of an event or a studio. A lot of the studios that I go to, I walk in and, a lot of times the check-in people won't make eye contact. There's a certain type of, you know, um, stereotype that I get cast in. And then when I get into the class and they're like, oh, wow, she's strong. She's been doing this for a while. It's like, yeah, I surprised you, didn't I? You know, I went to a, um, there's a new studio here that opened up in Baltimore called Solid Core. And it's, you know, in D.C. and there are a couple other places. Um, and it was a grand opening class, so it was private. There were about eight of us. Uh, the good majority of the women in the class had either taken it before or, you know, not in my demographic. And we get in there and I've taken a lot of them because that's what Fierce 45 is, the, Le the Legree method, which is what I like to call Pilates on crack. <laughs> it's, oh my God, the best thing ever. But we get in there and I'm ripping it. I'm, I'm the strongest. I'm making my transitions. And after the class, two of the girls came up to me and they're like, wow, you rocked it. And I'm like, thank you. And then I thought to myself, your own preconceived notions allowed you to believe that I wasn't going to be able to do this and that you somehow put a judgment on me. And ultimately, I was able to exceed my own expectations and yours. And that is a thing that I think in so many ways in our culture we have to work on because this doesn't happen in fitness. This happens everywhere. This happens in healthcare and careers. And it's just an overall arching notion about people and being able to box them into something. And, you know, my goal is to break the boxes and just let everybody be who they are. Well, and that's so important because what you were saying about like the person who is, you know, genetically a size two, just because I would look at that person and say like, oh, you don't have any problems. Uh, that's, you know, as you know, from your work talking about people who come in and like you wouldn't from the outside guess that they have body image issues. We know from research that that is so like what you would look like has nothing to do with how you feel about how you look. And, yep. um, so first, so, true. so opening it up, I mean, I say this about feminism, I say it about, you know, dealing with issues of race, issues of like disability and all that stuff. The more we open these things, the better it is for absolutely everybody. Because I have to say, like, 
most of the population, no matter what your size, no matter what your race, doesn't walk into a new exercise class feeling awesome about themselves because everyone's nervous. Everyone is, you know, has stuff that they don't like about their body or stuff that they, insecurities that they have. And so if, if we make the spaces more welcoming for, for even thinking about like people who uh, look a certain way or feel a certain way, if we open that up, it's better for everybody. Just like, you know, feminism makes things better for men too, because it's about exploding this idea that you have to be a certain thing with a certain gender. Um, And so, yeah, these ideas are important for everybody because like I, I identify as being like a not thin person, but I realize that like in the context of the world, that's probably skewed, but that still means that when I walk into an exercise class and all the pictures on the walls are super thin women, I feel uncomfortable. But then, you know, someone who has that plus they, you know, their hair looks different. Plus, you know, they have a different skin color. Um, like it helps all of us to have that, that be wider. It really does. Yeah. To have that, that sense of inclusion, you know, really that to me, that's what it's about. And, um, you know, it's, I think part of it is easy for me because I'm multicultural. And so half of my family is one, you know, kind of feel. And a lot of my aunts, like one of my aunts teaches Bikram and she's literally like a size two. And she has been close to vegan most of my life. She is, you know, she has, um, she does gluten-free. And so there's that part of my family. But then I also had an aunt on my dad's side of the family who was like 315 pounds, blonde hair, black woman, and was like, I am fierce and always kept a man, was smart, a great writer. I mean, all of these things. And so I have these like different perspectives or different ends of the spectrum about self-love. And really, like, I feel like all of these studios, they, they preach about wellness and with wellness comes self-love. But their ability to open things up to everyone doesn't seem like it's about self-love, you know? And I, again, I, I, like I said, as a marketing professional, I get it. I really do get it. But I also know that if they opened it up and got it a little bit more, yeah, I mean, it's, it's only room for more money, <laughs> more clients, and more visibility. Yeah, it's not a charity thing to sell larger size pants at J. Crew. You sell more pants. <laughs> exactly. Like you're not doing anybody like favors. You're, you know, you're increasing your bottom line. And I think that about a lot of the studios in New York and you know, I love them. They have taught me all so much. And I go and I am so inspired by the woman that can do 10 pull-ups because I literally can do maybe three and it has taken me four years to be able to do a pull-up. I mean, you know, I've never done a pull-up in my entire life. Well, yeah. And you know what? And even if you never do one, you're still a great person. That's, <laughs> Thank you, you know, Chelsea. One of the other things. Like, let's come on, let's be for real. You know, I mean, some of this stuff is great and it's fun, but at the end of the day, it doesn't define you as a person and your worth in, in society and with your family and that kind of stuff. So totally. Well, as, as a, a marketing professional and as, um, you know, having had the experiences that you've had coming up through wellness and fitness, do you have some thoughts on ways that the world of wellness can be more welcoming to more kinds of people? 
Um, yeah. So uh, there's a few folds. So it's like, I, one, I, we talked a little bit about the visual and the marketing aspect of it. I mean, and one of the brands that I can say is starting to do a better job is Athleta. Mm-hmm. And if you see some of their visuals on their Instagram, um, they, they ha- now again, it's still, it's a step, but they're, they usually have one woman that's not a traditional fitness model. She's more like what they would consider plus size modeling. She's usually a 10 though, or maybe a 12, but she's, you know, she might be brown, you know, she might be multicultural. So they're doing a better job. They also have women that aren't 22. They have women that are gray hair. They have women or mature, shall we say? So I think part of it is that, and I love Athleta for stepping into that realm and dipping her their toe in it. And I think if they keep doing that, they'll step ahead of brands like Lululemon. Also because their quality has really stepped up. I mean, I used to be a Lululemon girl all day and tried a pair of Athleta pants because I became a fit pro. And I was like, wow, these are really nice. So so it's partially marketing. Um, partially, I think that it's training. It's training in the staff to kind of open up those preconceived notions, you know, because a person that comes from Boston that has had a certain type of family. And I'm only saying Boston because it's the first city that came to mind. There's lots of cities, any city had these people come with preconceived notions, but it's about, especially their check-in staff or their studio staff, um, just kind of training them in a more open approach to people that aren't their traditional demographic. Like, like I said, myself, or, you know, we've got a black man, a gay black man who's overweight how do we treat him when he comes and checks in versus a white woman who's a size two and has a unlimited membership? Mm-hmm. They should be treated equally. And that should be, it's again, part of the training. I really think that it's in that. Um, and then on a socioeconomic level, I think that brands should offer um, more community classes because that is one of the ways, I mean, a lot of these studios, especially in New York, you know, the classes are between 30 and $37 a, a pop. And that's, I mean, you think about what that means to someone who is making $30,000 a year, who may be overweight, who may live in a food desert. I mean, they're probably eating Popeyes. So to pay for a $37 class, that's preposterous, you know, especially if they have children and that kind of thing. So by offering maybe three community classes a week that allow a person to pay what they can pay and still take part in the experience most brand, because their profit margins are already sky high, it's not going to hurt the brand. It's only going to help the brand. And then allowing, especially millennials, the way they're using social media and hashtags, allowing that demo to promote the brand through a organic social media approach. I mean, it's a win-win, you know, it's a free marketing experience. It's, you know, you're introducing a new person to this brand and then say this person finishes their degree and now they've stepped into a new career and now they're able to pay for that $37 class. You've converted a client in a way that probably is going to be more beneficial long-term than someone who is easily able to drop $37 and is hopping from studio to studio. This person is going to be loyal to your studio. So I feel like those are some of the ways that brands and I myself personally, like I said, in working on opening my own studio here in Baltimore, things that I think about on a daily because I want my studio to be open and comfortable, comfortable for everyone. Totally. Uh, when you were talking about training the front desk staff, I heard a really interesting piece on the splendid table, actually talking about, um, uh, how restaurants often end up being racially segregated kind of for no apparent reason, but it, mm-hmm. in a very clear way. Um, yes. and they were saying that one of the things 
that really matters in terms of people feeling comfortable at a restaurant is how the host treats them. And yes. I think it's same with that, what you were saying about the front desk staff um, and saying that, um, you know, it involves whoever owns the business understanding that there are racial challenges out in the world, mm-hmm. that those things exist, and that that has affected the story that people have experienced when it comes to their experiences at businesses and that you need to know about those stories and then train your staff to deal with them specifically. So the example they used was um, if you have a host who uh, greets a black couple and you seat them in the back of the restaurant, that's a different story than if you seat a white couple in the back of the restaurant because there are different stories in our American history about mm-hmm. whether being sat in the back of the restaurant is because you don't want people to see you or, or you know, or you don't want to be seen rather mm-hmm. by the mm-hmm. staff of the restaurant or because you're being given like an intimate, quiet space, you know, those things yeah. can mean different things. And so you have to understand what the story is. And part of that is having people who've had those experiences running studios like you are doing, yes. you know, yeah. because yeah. I can have all the best intentions in the world, but you know, I've never had the experience of being a non-white person. So, yeah. you know, all I can do is like go to your studio and be like, <laughs> Oh, this is how Chelsea does it. Like <laughs> this, yeah. I see why this makes sense. <laughs> I mean, you know, and I, I think like you said, a lot of it is really understanding that there are those stereotypes and experiences that have kind of just, they're pervasive, but have kind of involved themselves in everyone's upbringing, you know? And even, like I said, as a multicultural person, I feel like I'm thankful for my experience because I get to see both of those sides, but still, you know, because of my father's upbringing and his impact on my life, I still, like, if we go to a restaurant and like I said, my daughter's father, my partner, he's black, we go to a studio or a restaurant and, you know, a lot of times, like we do really well for ourselves, so we can go to really nice places. And we sometimes get treated like, oh, you must be a rapper or you must be a football player. God knows he's not like a big, I mean, maybe he can play basketball, but he's not a football player. He doesn't look like he plays for the Ravens or the Jets, I promise. But there's still this preconceived notion because we can go to the Four Seasons and we can, you know, have as many drinks as we want. And we're not like, uh, you know, we get a certain type of treatment. And like I said, that's, it's a great thing on one side of the coin, but then, you know, it's again, a preconceived notion. They assume that either we're some type of entertainer or, you know, and they'll, people will come to our, our table and they're like, you look so familiar. And I'm like, why do we look familiar? I mean, did you see him on a video? No, I wasn't in a video, you know, like, so there's both sides of those preconceived notions and really helping one, like I said, if you don't, if you're not able to, and it's unfortunate because you should, if you're starting a new studio or you're working on a brand, you should spend time in the hiring process. And so I did a little bit of recruiting in New York. So that's part of where this comes from, because I've seen people from all of these different walks of lives come in and have their preconceived notions um, about people and, and life and money and just pretty much any aspect, but having the training and working on someone. So say you love someone and you're like, this is, she's going to be great for our you know studio host, shall we say, or the first face you see when you come in. But I can feel that there's, you know, um, she may have a perceived, uh, you know, idea about someone. Then we talk about it. And then we do like coaching. And, you know, you really put your time into the people you hire because they're going to 
be part of the reason why your brand works, you know, or why it doesn't work. I mean, cause I've had some experiences in New York where I'm like, Nope, I will never come back here. And it's been you know, most, sometimes at one time it was a trainer and, but most of the time it's the initial front desk staff that I'm kind of like, mm. like why seven? One of the main reasons why I continue to come back and I, her name escapes me now, but I think it's Victoria. She's a black woman. And when I came in, she had this like mohawk that was like mad edgy. And she was like, hey, girl. And I instantly was like, all right. She's speaking my language. She looks, she doesn't look like me really, but it felt warmer than if it was, you know, hi, um, this is, I'm Becky. And, you know, it's just, it opened things up for me and it made me want to keep coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if it is Becky, Becky's like, hey, girl, you know, it, it can feel more like an authentic uh, exchange of pleasantries than a, you know, a, one that already has some preconceived um, ideas about who I am behind it. Totally. And sometimes I think, you know, like, so I'm from Minnesota. I'm like extremely white uh, and very square. And so, uh, but I've worked in a lot of customer service jobs. And the thing that I have found is like, if you just have anyone say, you know, hey, some people are going to come in here and not immediately feel comfortable. It's your job to make sure they're comfortable. I can't try to be anything that's not authentically me, but I can make sure that I understand that some people are coming into this space and aren't sure that they're welcome and that it's my job in my way to make sure that they're welcome. So like, you know, if someone comes in and I'm like, Hey girl, someone's going to be like, "Mm, (laughs) really? (laughs) But you know, but I can do, I can still be warm and um, inviting in my like nerdy way yeah, yeah, yeah. And if I have the understanding that, like, you know, someone might not automatically feel comfortable seeing me behind the desk, um, then I can just, I can be prepared to do that part of my job to make them feel comfortable. Yes, agreed. I do agree with you. And I can say, even when we first met, really, to me, the two characteristics that I, when I met you, and I think that anyone in this type of industry, or pretty much anyone, is about being warm and being authentic. Mm -hmm. And when I met you, those were two of the things that I instantly felt about you, that you were warm and you were authentic. And so when you have someone in that, that initial role, they should be those two warm because everybody wants to feel welcome and authentic because when you come in with authenticity, your Hey girl for me is going to be Hey girl. But if it's, it's high, it's, it's authentically who you are. And out, you know, authenticity is something that we can easily read. It's from the body language. It's to the intonation of our voice. It's just all these different things that it's a person that's authentically themselves. And I think that that is the most invaluable kind of characteristics that someone in that role should have and continue to refine in who they are. Totally. Um, one thing that I was thinking about before, um, we started talking is that, um, I think it can often feel, and I definitely felt this, that when you or I, I'll just speak for myself. When I like, you know, go into the world of nutrition and exercise and I'm, you know, thinking about changes that I want to make or things I want to do, um, it can come across as like a criticism of things that I actually really value and love about the community I identify as a part of. For example, like I am uh, half Jewish, 
And so like eating amazing food is like a big part of that part of my family. And I always want to be able to eat those foods. And it it would never even occur to me that I was, um, you know, moving away from those things because I don't think of myself as doing that. But sometimes making a choice to add in nutritious things can feel like it's a rejection of the the like food culture you came from, the body culture you came from. Um, you know, choosing to get fit can seem or feel like you're saying, like, I'm separating myself from this world that I came from. And I was curious if you had thoughts about how to practice self-care and how to, um, you know, engage with wellness in a way that still allows you to stay rooted in the community that you come from, you know, how to, I, th- I think in my notes too, I said like how to change how you are without changing who you are. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, it's, it's something obviously that I have dealt with being multicultural coming from a family where I have some aunts and cousins that are voluptuous women and will probably always be that way. And it's rooted in their own personal self identity. Um, so this is, it's a challenging, you know, this is a great question, a challenging question, because even recently I've gone completely plant-based. Um, I did it once before for like maybe a month and felt great. And so decided with this move, um, that I was going to do it full time here and going home to my family one, cause I'm from Colorado and it's such a like Buffalo yak and beef and just all these kind of like hearty meats my family looked at me like I was crazy. Like I literally, they were like, excuse me. (laughs) And then I decided, okay, I'm going to make a vegan meal for them and show them like, "Mm, I made this cauliflower steak over this rice, chimichurri and spinach and tomatoes. And it was delicious and they enjoyed it. But it's really about living your best life. I feel like is what I try to communicate to my clients. Um, you know, by living your best life, you're going to be an example for your family. And even like I said, when I go home, we, my mom will say, Oh, let's do this. Let's my mom is a baker. She, she caters. And so she's about cupcakes and sugar and, you know, and she's not overweight and she's healthy, you know, but I still, I'm like, so what I try to do is without projecting my own, like the things that I've learned about wellness, I try to be very kind in my communication in these things. I'm like, oh, that's great, mom. I think I'll pass or maybe I'll wait till later. I try to find ways that I can kind of decline or say no thank you in ways that aren't hurtful or judgmental where I'm like, I mean, granted, it's my family. So sometimes I'm like, mom, you know, you got to do better. I mean, we can't be, you know, so there's sometimes I'm that way. Because I know, and it's like, if you know better, you need to do better. And I can be the catalyst in my family to help change all of their lives in a good way. You know, still keep the camaraderie because we love to go out to eat. Like, we go to breakfast pretty much every time I go home. Every Saturday and Sunday, we go out to eat. And my great-grandfather, who's 97, he comes. My dad, my mom's new husband. It's wild. You should see this mix. My (laughs) My brother... My other brother, who's married to a Cuban woman, their children, sometimes her family. I mean, it's just, you should see this um, ethnic smoothie that happens. And, you know, people are eating all kinds of crazy things. And so I try to, in the moment, enjoy the experience, make my decisions at the table, and, you know, try not to be too boisterous about, or judgy, really, not boisterous, but judgy about why I'm eating this way because I love the camaraderie of us coming together and eating food and drinking and it's just you know a great experience so but it's because I feel authentically 
confident in my decisions and that it's best for me. Now, what works for me might not work for someone else and their family. Um, because, you know, like I said, I have some clients that are like from the South. I actually have a girlfriend who is, and a client who is from New Orleans. And her family, I swear, if they could, they would fry cakes because these people love frying things. And I mean, I love it. Like I said, love her, love it to death. And so her approach has to be a little different with her family because theirs is a different type of rooting. It's based out of growing up and in previous generations, especially because of slavery and different things. They didn't have the ability to eat like this and do this. So they see it as a coming from a place of wealth. You know, they're like, we look what we can do. And so she has to communicate more of, again, though coming from a place of self-love and self-preservation and I love you and I love me. And because I love this, this, who I am and who you are, I want to take good care of myself and make a little different choice. And then there are other times where it's like Thanksgiving or Christmas. And I'm like, girl, you eat that fried cake, you enjoy it. And then when you get back to your routine, you get back on it. So it's, you know, it varies from client to client and person to person. But I feel like the biggest thing that you can continue to work on is just being authentically yourself and, and just staying true to things that you hold dear. So if that means eating like crap when you go home with your family, then you do that. But then when you get back to your scenario, you, you get back onto your track. Or if it means speaking to your family, like, Hey, I love you guys. And because I love you, I just, how about we try this? How about we try this? And if you don't like it, we can do something else, but let's try it. So. Yeah. I think often, uh, offering to do some of the work puts a lot more behind uh, whatever you're trying to like influence your family. Like, you know, I, I don't think anyone likes someone coming over to their house and being like, you really should eat blah, blah, blah. But if someone comes over and says like, I've been eating this way, I'm, let me cook for you. Like, who's yep. going to say no to that? They may yep. say like, this is fine. I'm never going to make this. But they're not mad because you made dinner, right? Exactly. And it's funny because that is exactly the approach, like I said, I had to take with my family. Mm -hmm. Because all of this time, I'm, I like, you know, I live 2,000 miles away, so I get on the phone and I'm like on a soapbox. I'm like, look, you guys have really got to start. And this is my approach for a while. Uh, and then this last time when I went home, I was like, I'm going to try something different. I'm gonna, and I love cooking. You know, I do a lot of that with my account, with my clients. I do some kitchen overhauls. I do meal prep classes. Um, and I also do grocery store trips, which are so much fun, partially because my mom has worked for a grocery store. She just retired, but she worked there for 40 years. So like I grew up in a grocery store culture. Like I look, I could grocery shop as much as I like to shop for clothes, but by going home and making that recipe for them, I mean, like I literally made it for my mom, my dad, my, my mom's husband, one of my brothers. And they all were like, wow, this is really tasty. I mean, granted, my mom's husband did end up putting some chicken in it. <laughs> it was fine. He enjoyed it. It was a free meal. And now, you know, when he, when they go grocery shopping, my mom was like, hey, well, how about we do meatless Monday? You know, and he seems to be okay with one day a week and just one day a week, one has an impact on your health and two. Uh, impact on our planet, you know, helping reduce our, our footprint. So mm -hmm. that's, it's so interesting thinking about like, because it is so much about identity, food and, and all this stuff is about identity, which I think when you were saying before that a lot of the work that you do is talking about the emotional, your emotional life and how, like the story you tell yourself about yourself, that's true when you're talking about your family too. And that's, I think why it's so, it can be so volatile talking about changes that you're making because 
it can come off as like, I am separating from you. I want to be different from you, which I think then like the person who feels that they're being rejected, like clamps down on like whatever Mm -hmm. their story is. But if instead you can say like, here's this thing that I am doing, let me share it with you. Um, that can in some ways help people like loosen up their story a little bit and say Mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm the chicken guy, but I can be the chicken guy and eat this cauliflower or, you know, and the same goes the other way. Like, uh, you know, I can be, uh, you know, cauliflower person, but I can also like, you know, enjoy eating this cake when we're together. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree. And I think that it's, it does help when you bring it, bring approach of, um, kind of volunteering to help expose them to something, you know, that's a little different, but keeping it very, um, non judgy, you know, I'm big sister. So it's kind of, for me, I would say it's a little bit easier than some maybe because my family looks to me like, you know, I moved across the country. I've like created a whole career for myself. So they do kind of already look to me like, Oh, okay. Sometimes though, my approach can be, you know, very soapbox look, you know, and that's the, one of the things that I've had to tailor, um, for my family in order for them to be open to receiving it. Mm -hmm. Um, but like I said, it, it, by even stepping out on that, it's been the most amazing experience. It's changed how my family views me. Um, especially because like I said, I've lost a hundred pounds. So I used to be the girl at one point in time, like my tagline, I like to say is from Popeye's to kombucha because like, I loved Popeye's and I ate at least probably once a week. And now I drink kombucha once a week and I haven't had Popeye's in probably seven, eight years. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's, they've seen me be one person and love fast food. And then now to see me like eat a mostly plant-based diet, they're like, wow, but if she can do it, I can do it. So that's what I hope. That's such an interesting way of saying it, the from Popeye's to kombucha, because I kind of can't think of any two food groups that are like more racially like uh, signified in our (laughs) culture. And you're in such a unique place being multicultural that it seems like you're pretty comfortable sort of moving in and out of those zones. But I can imagine for a lot of people, they're like, oh, I'm only a kombucha person or, oh, I'm only a Popeye's person. If to do that other thing is like, either like that doesn't feel like me or I, I would feel like I wasn't welcome in the kombucha store. (laughs) Yes. I mean, it's, it is true. And I think that is one of the, um, beauties of being multicultural is I do feel comfortable moving in between those. I mean, obviously I'm really not moving back to Popeye's anytime (laughs) soon, but if it was the only thing that I had to eat, I'd probably say, let's do some chicken, you right. know? So, um, but you know, again, both of those brands and both of those concepts are, they're not mutually exclusive. You know, it's about this pendulum and this way that you swing in between. And by again, being true to yourself and just, you know, accepting that there's highs and lows and that one day's a hundred percent is another day's 30% is another day's 115% that you allow yourself the opportunity to live in the moment and really enjoy your life and enjoy your journey and then get to a place where you really love who you are because you're enjoying each and every one of these moments, whether it's eating Popeye's or drinking kombucha. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think too, like the more times that, you know, someone who um, is multicultural, is curvy, is also drinking the kombucha, then that makes that space more open to other people because it's like, Oh, it's not just for the like 
size two white women. It's mm-hmm. also for this other woman. And also yeah. like a big difference between like the kombucha and the Popeyes historically has been cost, but a kombucha doesn't have to be expensive. It's just sugar and tea and a little bit mm-hmm. of time. So, mm-hmm. and, uh, a lot of people who look a lot of different ways can actually afford that, you know, kombucha if they feel welcome to buy it. So both of those things are, can be more fluid. Um, Yep. I agree. And I think that hopefully we're getting to that place. And like I said, at my studio, that is one of my missions is to offer that, you know, openness about things, um, you know, and, 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 and and a cost effectiveness as well, because like I said, it shouldn't be wellness shouldn't be exclusive to someone that is upwardly financially mobile. You know, it's for everyone. Everyone deserves to feel good and have the resources so they can eat healthy and, and at least know better. And if you know better then like I said, you can do better. Totally. Well, speaking of families, uh, I know you mentioned that you are uh, relatively recently a mother. Um, yes. And I assume that that affects how you think about wellness in all sorts of ways. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, man. It, it actually affects everything. It's the most life-defining experience. I have a, a little daughter. Her name is Berkeley. She is the apple of my eye. Obviously, everybody has a baby that's like, I mean, it grew inside your body. How could you not like have this overarching, exceedingly amazing love for it? I mean, Berkeley is amazing. And so because my weight loss journey and my journey into self-love and self-discovery it, you know, it didn't happen for me until I was like 26, 27. And I had, I'd only had about maybe a year where I was that overweight. Prior to that, I was, you know, average. I was like a 10. You know, I was curvy-ish. I had a six-pack, though. I played sports. So I, at the time, you know, didn't, didn't really, like, put much energy into it until I looked up and I didn't recognize myself. And in that journey, I, I see in my daughter the things that I don't want her to have to experience. And so since she's been born, it's been about self-love and me being the example and the champion for her own self-love. Um, part of it is just the way that I look. So like I said, my, I told you my hair is natural and like Joanne can attest it is wild right now, but it looks amazing. And, well, thank you. I mean, and it's so funny cause it's, again, that's so perspective based cause I'm like, Oh my God, my hair, I need to fix this. But others are like, your hair is amazing. But you know, I, growing up, it was always flat ironed. Like I literally got my hair flat ironed every Friday. My father would take me to the beauty shop. My mom would pick me up. It was like this whole ritual. And I was steeped in having straight, long hair. And it was just part of my identity. And, you know, then becoming a mother. Well, even before that, I, I, I moved to New York and could not keep it straight because the humidity would not let it happen. So I had to accept it. I was forced and I loved it though. And now having a little baby and her hair looks almost exactly like mine. It's a little tighter curl, but she's got natural hair too. And for me to be able to be an example through the way that I live, the, through the appreciation that I have for myself, my uniqueness um, is, is a big, big, big thing. Also the way she eats. Um, I am, my, again, my family, even her father will tell you, I am overall very, very strategic about the way she eats. When she was born, I mean, obviously I'm I'm still breastfeeding and she's like 16 months. It's kind of crazy. We're hopefully coming to an end, but it's, I mean, it's, it's been good. It's, she's never had a cold her entire life. And that I know is because of my immune system and the way that I eat there in turn, the things that are passed on to her. But like, I have made her food from the beginning. Um, and now we're starting to take, we go out to a lot of restaurants. And so I'm letting her try little things in here and there. And like, she has no taste for sugar because she had never even tasted 
sugar until her first birthday. And then we got her this beauty, beautiful little smash cake. And she stuck her finger in it and touched it and was like, it turned her face up like I had never seen. I was so proud and so <laughs> disappointed all in the same moment that it was like I had never felt such mixed emotions about anything. I'm like, oh, my God. But um, so everything that I do is steeped in trying to be an example for her about self-love so she can hopefully avoid some of the pitfalls or experiences that I've had. And gr- granted, they've shaped who I am and they've made me an amazing person. But I feel like I could have potentially learned these lessons in a not so traumatic way, not having yeah. to lose a hundred pounds. I mean, you know, so it's, I look at her every day and I'm like, wow. I also though look at her and I, I'm so thankful for all the things that she teaches me. Cause we come across and we have children and it's like, it's my job to teach them and to do all this. And she has came, come into the world and has taught me so much. I mean, I've become like much more of a feminist. Uh, we actually have matching little feminist t-shirts. Amazing. Uh, Oh my God, it's, it's, I post them on social media and every time I look at them, they make my heart smile. But like little things like that, or just her ability to ask for things in the way that, you know, she does. And once again, she's not even communicating really, not verbally, but I, I'm learning so much from her. So I feel like this relationship is such a, like a symbiotic two-way kind of learning of ourselves and growing. And I also think that babies have their like dif- divine in- intuition is so strong. It hasn't been tainted by my preconceived issues, her father's, anything. So I really look to her to like let her intuition speak to her and there in turn speak to me. And it's, I mean, like I said, it also has made me very like kind of more understanding and, and more thoughtful in the way that I communicate to p- other people because I have to be very mindful and thoughtful about the way that I communicate to her because I don't want to speak in a harsh or hurtful ter- tone. So it's helped me try to bring that to others in my life. And I'm still working on that because, you know, I'm, I'm a sports girl. I'm like, I have, bu- I have two brothers. So I've been a very masculine uh, kind of direct type of communicator and it's work having Berkeley is helping me kind of work on that and, and be the softer side of Chelsea. Some days it's not always that way, but I, but I try, but yeah, being a mom is, and also having a natural birth though that again, it was the most amazing experience. I mean, I was 35 when I had her and I mean, her father and I trained literally. We took these classes. Um, they're called, it's called Bradley method. We took 12 weeks of Saturday classes Wow! and it was, I mean, yeah, it was intense. It wasn't like a Saturday class. That's most of the time what women go through. They show up on a Saturday with their husband. They go through like a pamphlet and they're like, yeah, and then you're going to have a baby. And we spent 12 weeks. I had a doula. I ultimately switched to a midwife. And by the time it was time for me to go into labor, I as ready as you can be as a first time mom to give birth. I was ready. I mean, I had been exercising and doing all these like squats and lunges and Kegels and we had done mock labor. So like I already knew positions that I wanted to be in and it really helped because I was in labor for two days. So I mean, yeah, the first day was honestly though. I mean, it sounds bananas, (laughs) but the first day wasn't terrible. Like we walked central park I climbed the stairs in my building. I mean, I felt good. I felt strong. The second day, exhaustion started to kick in. And I was kind of like, all right, this has been cute, but it's now time for this baby to get here. And But then by the time she arrived, and again, you know, being able to do it naturally and being able to own my journey rather than have a healthcare provider make decisions for me because I was educated, 
it allowed for a much, much more empower, empowering uh, experience. And so I can look now and say, yeah, I'm going to have another one and I'm going to do it at home because I came away feeling so powerful in the, in the beauty of a woman's body and what we can do if we allow ourselves to trust in who we are. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, as you can tell, I'm super passionate about being a mom and, and the natural journey. And it's something that I think about even for my studio and having like some type of resource there that helps women that are either pregnant or wanting to become pregnant in just helping find doulas and just access to information because, you know, our, our medical, our healthcare system has kind of changed things and painted things a certain way for a woman that can take the power away from them. And you can feel uh, at the, at the mercy of a doctor and, you know, it shouldn't be that way. You should be able to be strong and feel powerful in this journey and have an advocate there for you outside of your partner. Because men are great, but they have never had a period. They don't know about cramps, and they never will. And they, it's nice to have someone that can hold your hand and be like, you could do this. So it's, it's, it was a great journey. And I, like I said, I'm, I'm so thankful for her. She's, she's made me better. That's awesome. She's a lucky kid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, a lucky mom. Well, to, as we like sort of wrap up a little bit, I wanted you to tell us a little bit about your studio and what you're working on and then how people can find you on the world of the web. Yes. Um, so the studio right now, it's really, I'm just teaching classes here in Baltimore, a class called Body Heat. And it's uh, hip hop inspired. All the music is like current hip hop and it's very tempo based. So it's a lot of squats lunges it's there's some tabata in it there's a little bit of dance you know but not too much we're not twerking or anything but we're getting a good workout in um so there in turn at the studio that's what i plan on having um some body heat classes also some yoga some hip-hop yoga um but more like old school you know just kind of something that you can really get into and feel and then for millennials it'll help give them some 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 um some reference to some of the songs they hear now. Cause now everything is being sampled that I was like listening to in the nineties. So whew, I dated myself a little bit there. Um, the studio also will have a kind of a wellness counter so you can get some smoothies and healthy food. And I do a lot of like vegan baking things that don't have real sugar. They have coconut nectar or coconut sugar. So they'll have that. And they'll, it'll also have um, nutrition counseling. So you can sit down with myself um, and I'm hoping to bring on at least one nutritionist um, or a registered dietitian to help with some um, classes um, and, you know, private sessions that you can sit down and have, you know, a meal prep or a meal plan built out for you. And, um, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm working on locations now and getting funding and all of that. But it's, it's so, so exciting to me to be able to expose all the things that I've learned to women that look like me, you know, and that are maybe eating Popeye's or, you know, and want to try kombucha, but don't want to be judged for saying, oh, this tastes like vinegar. Cause it kind of does. It definitely does. But, but it's a wonderful replacement for a soda cause it's bubbly and sparkly. And you know, if you have it once a week, it's like that treat and it's good for your tummy, like your pro the probiotics and you know, your gut health. Um, so Right now, until um, the studio is open, you can find me on my website, which is leahb.nyc, and there you can sign up for nutrition counseling, health uh, counseling, um, personal training. I do some virtual. I do a lot of virtual now, like, you know, um, because it's the way of the world. 
And, and you can also find the schedule for body heat and where I'm teaching it here in Baltimore, I think starting in, um, mid May in more of a, like a group fitness setting. And you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at Leah be healthy. And like I said, I'm posting, I love posting pictures of kombucha and pictures of my daughter and random things that I make at home. Um, and yeah, yeah. So that's, that's how you can find me. And like I said, this has been such a pleasure, Joanna. I love Daphne and I love you. You ladies have really, you know, in your own way made a not so inclusive experience feel very, very inclusive. So I really, really appreciate it. That is so nice of you to say, thank you so much for, for coming on the show and for being so generous in talking about your experience. And, um, I feel like it's conversations like this are so, um, critical to like moving us all to like helping us all progress in all of the ways in like the health and nutrition on that level. And also on the, like being more welcoming and also being more welcoming to ourselves about ourselves. Like it's all one thing. So it is, so it all ties in back into each other, but really it's about that self love and just being authentic that you're able to, whether you're a brand, a person, a mother, uh, you know, whatever, a sister, a daughter, just to be open and, and be in the moment and just be able to love who you are. Awesome. Well, thanks, Chelsea. That's Chelsea Burrell of Leah B. Wellness. And I'll have all the links to website and Twitter and Instagram and blah, 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 blah on our show notes. uh, So you can find Chelsea there. Thanks again, Chelsea. Oh, thank you so much. What a pleasure, Joanna. Thanks for listening to Just One More with Joanna and Daphne. Our show is normally hosted by Daphne Yang and me, Joanna Shaw-Flam. We're produced and edited by me. Our theme music is by Hannah vs. The Many, who you can hear at hannahvsthemany.com. We'll be back next week. You can make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to Just One More on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. For show notes and for help subscribing, you can go to our website, justonemorepodcast.com. Let us know what you think. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Just One More Pod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash justonemorepodcast, or you can email us at info at justonemorepodcast.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.